Um, so I'm going to bring you today's passage from, from chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the morning, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter, asked, uh, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man, man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running in to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A very good morning to all of you. The Lord be with you. Now, we continue with our series on the book of Acts. And you may remember that when we began this series, uh, we said that the New Testament church is to be our model for the way we do church. And in Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that the early church met regularly, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. And they were also devoted uh, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the believers also had everything in common, sharing their wealth with one another so that no one was in need. Now, at TGCC, we want to emulate the practices of the early apostolic church because this is what a gospel-centered church ought to be. So, as a gospel-centered church, we want to be fully committed to the study of Scripture and uh, to live out the sound doctrine so that Christ Jesus will be glorified in our lives. Uh, we also want to be prayerful at all times because we are dependent on God for His grace and for His providential care. So we want to be hospitable, opening our, our fellowship to, and, and our homes uh, to strangers and to friends alike because we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we want to be generous, to use our wealth to care for the poor and the needy in our midst. Because God has been most generous to us when he did not spare his own son to save us from our sins and to give us eternal life. So this is what we want to do. We want to emulate at TGCC. 
Now, Luke also describes one feature of the early apostolic church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, um, Luke tells us this, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, wonders and signs is the phrase used for works of miracles. And so the apostolic church, the early apostolic church, is marked by works of miracles that the apostles do. And Luke goes on to describe the first of the many miracles that would characterize the apostolic church. And he begins chapter 3 by telling us that one day, Peter and John, two of the apostles, they were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Uh, let's change the slide again. Yep, yep. Okay, uh, so they were going, there, <coughs> going to the temple at the time of prayer, which is 3 in the afternoon. Now, in the early days of the apostolic church, uh, the Jewish Christians continued to go to the temple to worship because the split between Christianity and Judaism has not yet uh, happened. And so it was not unusual for Peter and John to go to the temple to pray. Now, there is a man, born lame, and he is at the temple, one of the temple gates called Beautiful. And this gate separates the Jewish courtyard from the Gentile courtyard. And this crippled man has been carried by his friends and placed at the gate to beg for money. And it is a perfect location for a beggar because all the Jews coming to the temple would have to pass through this gate. And as Peter and John approaches the gate, the crippled man call out for them, uh, call up to them for money. Now, most people would just walk past a beggar and avoid eye contact. But Peter and John, they turned to meet the eyes of the cripple. And Peter says to him, look at us, look at us. And this man is, of course, um, surprised. And he is very hopeful uh, for a gift because uh, Peter has asked to give, uh, asked him to give them his attention. But Peter says, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. So what Peter is saying is that he does not have money. But he has something better. He has the gift of working miracles. And Peter will give the man what is more valuable than silver or gold. Something that no money, no amount of money can buy. So Peter says to the man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. And taking the man by his right hand, Jesus helps him, uh, Peter helps him up on his feet. And instantly the man's feet and ankles uh, become strong, strong enough for him to take a few tentative steps. And then his legs become even stronger and he begins to jump for joy, praising God. Now, this is not a staged performance. It is a real healing miracle. And the man knows he has been healed instantly and completely. And the people in the temple know that too because they recognize the jumping man 
as the same crippled beggar who has been a regular fixture at the temple gate. And the people were filled with wonder and amazement because they have just witnessed an act of God, a true miracle. A man born lame has been instantly and completely healed. And we can imagine the powerful witness the apostolic church has. A church where spiritual needs are met and where all kinds of physical needs are also met. And wouldn't it be wonderful if today we can emulate the apostolic church in the area of working miracles. And people come in and with physical ailments and they will be healed. And it would be such a great testimony, wouldn't it? So it would be great for us to emulate the apostolic church in this area of working miracles. But can we? And that is the question. Now, if you were to drive down a stretch of stud road, uh, you will come across this church that has a big sign over its roof. And the sign reads, uh, Church, a place where miracles happen. And there are many other churches like this church that believe that works of miracles are still happening today. And of course, works of miracles are tied up with the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is the issue dividing Christians today. Now, on one hand, there are Christians who are continuationists. Uh, continuationist. okay? That is, they believe that all the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit taught in the Bible are still operative today. And this includes gifts of prophecy, speaking in tongues and interpretations of tongues, uh, miraculous healings, and performing other miracles. So, so this continuation is the belief that these gifts of the Holy Spirit are still operating today. Now, on the other hand, there are Christians who believe that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased after the death of the last apostle and after the completion of the canon of Scripture. And these Christians are called cessationists. Okay? And, and there are, of course, Christians in between these two opposing positions. So we have the two opposing positions. One is continuationism, the belief that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available to believers today. Uh, the other is cessationism, the belief that these supernatural gifts have ceased after the apostolic age. So, how did these two beliefs, different beliefs, come about? Uh, so, we need to go back briefly to church history. Now, it, it was an observation in early church history that in the first 300 years, there was already the observation that what there was already an observation of a lack of supernatural events in the life of the church. And the understanding then was that miracles were restricted to the apostolic church, uh, apostolic age, since most of the miracles 
described in the Bible, uh, were performed by the apostles. So that was the early understanding. Now, however, when the Roman Catholic Church came into dominance, it began to teach a form of continuationism. Now, through the doctrine of apostolic succession, the Pope is made the successor of the Apostle Peter. And so when the Pope speaks uh, ex cathedra, that means uh, when, when he speaks in the authority of the office of the Apostle Peter, his words are infallible. And his words carry the same weight as Scripture. And so this is how a lot of um, different doctrines, different theologies um, come into practice in the Roman Catholic Church. So, for example, uh, the worship of Mary and the theology of Mary uh, became uh, an integral part of Roman Catholic Church, uh, Roman Catholic worship. And Roman Catholicism teaches that miracles and healings continue to happen today, often through the intervention of Mary. Now, of course, Protestants dispute these claims of Roman Catholic teachings. And generally, Protestants are secessionists until the onset of the 20th century, when the Pentecostal denomination was formed. Now, Pentecostals believe that after conversion, there is a second blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by the speaking in tongues. And in addition, some people, after the baptism of the Spirit, uh, they may also receive the supernatural gift of healing uh, or uh, the gift of prophecy. So the doctrine of continuationism within Protestantism uh, began with the, uh, with the Pentecostals. Now, in the 1960s, Pentecostal theology and Pentecostal practices began to spread to other mainstream denominations and uh, many independent uh, churches. And this set off uh, what is called the charismatic movement. And charismatic churches embrace continuationism. Tongue speakings, uh, prophecies, and healings <coughs> are common features in their worship services. Now then in the 1980s, the practice of supernatural gifts was ramped up when the so-called third wave, and you may hear about this, the third wave, uh, describing the third wave of the Holy Spirit, uh, when, when the third wave of the Holy Spirit swept uh, through the Pentecostal and charismatic churches, uh, there was a a greater emphasis on miracles, on exorcism, on signs and wonders. And Bible schools were organized to teach people to prophesy. And you can enroll in these schools uh, to perform miracles. Now today, this third wave movement has evolved into the New Apostolic Reformation. 
Now, you may not have heard about the New Apostolic Reformation or NAR for short, but it is the fastest growing uh, influence in America and also uh, the world, world, throughout the world. So you may not have heard about NAR, but you probably have listened to some of their teachings and you have certainly listened to their music. Bethel Church in Redding, California, USA, pastored by Bill Johnson, is a leading name in this movement. And Bethel music is a, a very popular. And according to some experts studying the NAR, uh, Hillsong is also part of the movement, albeit on the fringe. Now, this movement consists of churches and their leaders who share in the theology of the five-fold ministry. Now, you may not have heard about the five-fold ministry, but this five-fold ministry embodies the doctrine of continuationism to its fullest. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, uh, 11 to 13, Paul tells us this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the pastor, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. Now, the NAR leaders reinterpret this efficient passage wrongly to make the argument that God is today restoring the offices of the apostles and the prophets. You see, they argue this way, that modern church has always had the ministry of the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. But that is only threefold. But to reach the unity of faith and to become mature, we need the apostles and the prophets as well. So this is the theology of the fivefold ministry, fivefold, the five offices of the church described by Paul. Yep. And so they argue that God has restored the offices of apostles and prophets to the church today. And so the, with the restoration of apostles and prophets, the proponents of NAR have labeled today as the second apostolic church to mirror the first apostolic church 2,000 years ago. And just like the first apostolic age where there were many signs and wonders, so today in the second apostolic age, we can expect to see many miracles as well. And according to NAR teachings, churches today need greater miraculous powers. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle against the powers of darkness. And there will be greater miraculous healing. And Christians are encouraged to pray for the raising of the dead to demonstrate the triumph of the power of Jesus over the 
over the power of Satan. And they argue this way, that after all, didn't Jesus say that his disciples would do greater works than he did? And quoting uh, John 14.12. But this is a misreading of John 14.12 by the NAR leaders. Now let us look at this verse uh, because it is a key verse in shaping their wrong theology and uh, practices. Now John 14.12 reads, uh, and Jesus is telling his uh, disciples, Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works, uh, greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Now, NAR leaders wrongly interpret greater things to include the miracles that Jesus did. Now, if any Christian thinks that they can outdo Jesus in his miracles. They are either delusional or they are just plain arrogant. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, the correct interpretation of greater things that Jesus refers to is the evangelistic works. We today will do greater evangelistic works. We will do greater disciple-making works than Jesus. That is why Jesus gives us the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. So that is the greater works that we will do, not miracles. So, NAR teachings on the restoration of apostles and prophets are false, and their practices of performing miracles are deceptive. Yet, their false teachings are influencing many churches and many Christians worldwide. And to be fair, there are many continuationists who disagree with the NAR theology and practices. And they do warn against the danger of NAR churches. But the NAR excesses show us how continuationism may open up the gateway to all kinds of false teachings and practices. But that does not mean cessationism or cessationism is not without its own dangers. You see, you now come to this other side. Cessationism may lead us to rationalism, the belief that no miracles can ever happen today. And this opens the way to um, liberalism, to unbelief. So if someone who is a cessationist, who does not believe that God can never do any miracles, then uh, he is opening himself up to uh, unbelief. Now, may, uh, or cessationism may also lead us to quench the spirit when we refuse to recognize 
a genuine supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, secessionists have also been charged for their lack of faith. And, and they say that the lack of faith uh, caused them to be unable to see the miracles that are happening around them. Okay. But this is not a valid charge because miracles in the Bible are often performed despite a lack of faith. For example, the cripple at the temple gate that we have just read. Now, he didn't show any faith at all to want to be healed. Now, he wasn't expecting to be healed. He just wanted some money from Peter and John. And Peter himself explained to the crowd that the miracle has nothing to do with his faith or with his godliness. Look at verse 12. Peter says, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? So it is not Peter's faith or Peter's godliness. And later, Peter would tell the crowd that the power to perform the miracle comes from Jesus. It is the risen and glorified Jesus who gives his apostles and prophets the gift of working miracles, and for a very specific purpose, and that is to mark them out as the foundation of the church and to accredit them with the task of writing the New Testament that will complete the canon of the Bible. And that is why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 20, Paul tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So as foundation of the church, the apostles and prophets have been appointed to write down the message of the New Testament, uh, which is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of, uh, of promises in the Old Testament. And that's why we have the complete canon, both the old and the new. And you may have heard about this saying that the old is um, uh, the new cons revealed and, sorry, uh, the old is the new concealed and, uh, did I say it wrong? Uh, the new is the old revealed. Okay, so they complement each other. So basically, the new, the new Testament reveals all the promises of God in the Old Testament to be fulfilled by Jesus. Okay, so once the New Testament has been completed, there is no longer the need for apostles and prophets. So therefore, with the passing of the apostolic age, the supernatural gifts of working miracles ceased to be a regular feature in the life of church today. Now, I have not presented the full argument for the two positions of continuationism and secessionism, um, if you are interested, uh, I can point you to some resources. 
But based on my understanding of scripture, I find the secessionist position more convincing than the continuationist position. And this conviction is borne out by my experience and by observation of reality. You see, when our experiences matches, uh, when our experience matches what Scripture says, we know that we have not misunderstood what Scripture says. Now, my experience and observation tells me that miracles are rare in churches today. Is this your experience and your observation? Now, unfortunately, many people tend to define miracles in a a loose way. Uh, What is an unusual coincidence they would label as a miracle? Um, An escape from a fatal accident is a miracle. A baby born after IVF treatment is a miracle. Um, a recovery from a serious illness is a miracle. Now, even a Christian conversion is classified as a miracle. Now, but I think all these are actually acts of God's grace or acts of God's providential care, not miraculous acts. A a leading continuationist pastor has said that there are more miracles than we realize. I think he is right if we loosely define what a miracle is. But when we read the accounts in the Bible, we find that miracles are very exceptional events. They are extraordinary events that cannot be explained <clears throat> by coincidences. They cannot be explained uh, by natural laws. So, for example, the man born lame, suddenly he is able to walk and jump. That is a miracle. When a Man born blind suddenly is able to see. That is a miracle. When a man dead for four days rises again, now that is a miracle. But we don't see such miracles today as described in the Bible. And incidentally, to my knowledge, nowhere in the Bible is coming to faith in Jesus described as a miracle. You see, conversion is an act of God's grace. And that is how Paul saw his conversion. He says that, by the grace of God, I am who I am, referring to his conversion and his appointment as apostle. So, conversion is an act of God's grace, not an act of miracle. Now, the miracles that we often hear today are nowhere as dramatic, uh, instantaneous, or publicly verified as the miracles performed by Jesus and his apostles. And when we study the gift of tongues, 
the gift of prophecy and the gift of healing of today, uh, we find that they don't really match up with what the Bible says they are. And if these gifts today are not what the Bible says they are, then we must adopt the secessionist position. Now, so we come to this question. So is the church today any poorer or any weaker for not experiencing the many miracles, the many signs and wonders that happen in the apostolic church? Well, the question, uh, the answer is no, not at all. Because God is still working in the church today, not through miracles, but through His sovereign grace and His providential care. And we know that Jesus is still interceding for us, that none of His sheep will be lost. And the Holy Spirit continues His work through God's powerful word in Scripture to bring people to Christ and to shape all of us who are Christians and transform us to be holy and Christ-like as we await for the greatest miracle, the redemption of our bodies. That will be the greatest miracle that we can look forward to. The resurrection of our bodies in the new heaven and the new earth, where everything that is broken will be made good and will be made new. And there will be no more tears, no more sickness, and no more death. That is the miracle that we are looking forward to. And it will come to pass. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we must continue to preach the word and live out the word, live out the gospel. We must continue to be prayerful, we must continue to be hospitable, and we must continue to be generous. <clears throat> and if someone is sick, we do not need to go looking for someone who is gifted in supernatural healing. <clears throat> Instead, Scripture gives us the clearest instruction on what to do. Now, in his letter, <coughs> excuse me, in his letter, James tells us this, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is what we should do. And church leaders ought to take the lead to pray for the sick. And every Christian should also pray for the sick, even as the sick avail themselves to treatment of modern medicine. And we need to thank God for modern medicine because we must remember that modern medicine or advances in modern medicine is part of God's providential care. <clears throat> and if modern medicine is unable to bring about a cure, we can pray for a miraculous healing, even if we are secessionists, because God is sovereign and He can bring about a miracle according to His will. You see, our belief in secessionism does not preclude God from acting in His sovereign will to heal in a miraculous way. 
So we can pray for miracle, miraculous healing. Now, one last important thing we need to note. Now, unless you hold the extreme view, this issue of spiritual gift is not a first-order doctrine that should separate us uh, from worshipping together. So it should not prevent us from partnering together for the gospel's sake. And so whether you are a continuationist or whether you are a cessationist, we want to welcome you to DGCC. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have built the church of your son, Jesus, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Lord Jesus, you continue to equip your church with pastors, evangelists, and teachers so that your people will keep growing into maturity in the knowledge and grace of God. And may your Holy Spirit work in us to give us understanding of your word and to apply your truth in our lives so that we will remain your faithful and holy people. Please grant us the unity in the gospel that transcends all the minor differences in our understanding of some of the doctrines of the faith. And may our love for one another be a witness to the world that will draw people to the knowledge and love of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>